One of our favorite movies is Ratatouille. Have you ever seen Ratatouille? Anybody here? Oh my gosh. Okay, a few people have seen Ratatouille. Oh good. Man, I was going to have to, I'm going to have to pick up another movie. Um, it's just a lot of fun. It's about a, a, a mouse. And it's about food. And it's about cooking. And it's about eating good food. And uh, this mouse wants to be a chef. And what a great idea. You know, he, he gets to run around with all of his brothers and his cousins and everything, and they go around scavenging the countryside. And what do they do? They just pick up garbage, basically. It's actually what he says is, is that we're just stealing garbage. We're nothing but thieves. Well, anyway, it's a lot of fun. But in the movie in particular, the little mouse is talking to his brother, Emil. And uh, his brother just eats everything. Everything. He won't let it go. He has to eat it. And he stops him and says, Remember, you are what you eat. Now, it's a kind of a familiar saying. Maybe you've heard it. I don't know. But it didn't really evolve from that, you are what you eat. They kind of stole it from an old Frenchman. He was uh, an attorney, and um, he wrote a book called The Physiology of Food. Now, this was back in about the uh, eh, 1725, so a few years ago. And this book has been just translated into all different languages and brought forward, even in, on the TV show Iron Chef. Now, any of you watch Iron Chef? Yes. So in that, the, the chairman has even uh, made this quote even famous because truly this Frenchman, who I'm really not going to try to butcher his name, because if there's there are you here that know how to speak French, and you will just kill this accent of mine. I just I know how to say Jean, right? Jean uh, Severin. I don't know if that's right or not. Anyway, he came up with this quote that he's well known for. It says, tell me what you eat and I will tell you what you are. Now in the book, he talks about how food and taste is intertwined and how actually your mental health, uh, your physical health is all connected. And there's some real interesting science that he's putting together there. So it's a book that's actually never been out of print. And that says a lot. So when uh, people are still reading it and they're looking at it, and there's some interesting uh, thoughts brought into it. But when you say you are what you eat, that kind of scares you a little bit, doesn't it? I mean, how many of us love pork ribs? Pork barbecue. I hope I'm not a pig. But I like it. So here... It's kind of interesting that the scripture this morning, Matthew brings us to the Passover. Now we've, uh, Jared went through the uh, many uh, parables that Jesus had told up to this point, and they all led into what the kingdom of heaven is like. And so this morning, once again, Jesus is telling you and me about the kingdom of heaven. And interestingly, he's doing it now 
It's the Passover. It's this here, the high point of the Jewish year. Here, during the Passover, of course, you're, uh, you know or may remember that when uh, Israel left Egypt and they were released out of bondage from there, that God then provided the way for them away from that bondage, okay, and delivered them out of Egypt. So the Passover, talking about when you not only put the blood over the doorway and the spirit of death passed by your house, saving your firstborn child, not only remembering that, but also looking forward to the promise of the promised land. That promise, the covenant God had made to his people, that I will be your God and you will be my people. Now this is a covenant made on Mount Sinai that we know over and over again that we did not, the people of God always seems to break covenants with him. But he never breaks his covenant with his people. So here, uh, the Passover is not only a memory of slavery and bondage in Egypt for Israel, but it's also a uh, celebration and a thankful celebration for the uh, deliverance from that slavery. And, of course, it took a few years, right? How many years? About 40 years. And they were finally were delivered into that promised land. So the Passover was a celebration. I think sometimes we get lost with that. Maybe we think of the Passover being somewhat kind of a dull religious thing. And if you've ever been to a Seder meal, if I hope you went to a good one, because usually they have it really nasty tasting. It's just not a good tasting. It's kind of awkward, and they're trying to recreate this this uh, idea of how you might celebrate the Passover and giving all the symbolism to the meal. Because it all has a story, and it all puts the story of, of leaving Egypt and going out and, and into the desert, of course, and then eventually entering into the Promised Land. But I don't believe that's how it was. I believe the food was great. I am, I, I'm just convinced it was. I think the lamb was roasted perfectly. I think the bitter herbs were used properly. And then you had bits of, of fruit in there to, you know, to give you the taste of, of goodness, the promised land. And you had all of these, all of these points of the lamb. Of course, we know who the lamb is. But what they knew, they also knew the Lamb was the Messiah to come. That ultimately, the Lamb who was sure would bear our sin. And so this was a little uh, foretaste, as Travis mentioned in his prayer, of what was to come. So the Passover is a real remembering who you are as a Jew. What God has promised you, remembering God's promises, and again teaching them to the whole family. They were usually all in homes when you did that. So I think of this great food, and also think of great wine. Now, there's no question in my mind that the wine was real wine, not 
Welch's grape juice. Welch's came into to the business uh, back in the 19th century. And for the 2,000 years prior to that, and then uh, however many thousands of years prior to that, between the Jewish tradition and the Christian tradition, wine was used in their service, in their celebration. And so we have it here, this beautiful time, this great time where everybody's really enjoying themselves. It's not a boring church thing that you have to go to get all dressed up and sit still. It's something everybody enjoys talking about. And there's this communion among one another that's happening. Well, when we obviously, Jesus is here this morning, taking us into this new sacrament. He's bringing us into what is the Lord's Supper that you and I know. How does he make the transition from the Passover meal to now the Lord's Supper, communion, the Eucharist, however you would like to call it. So here we are, seeing Jesus using the disciples to set up the situation right, going to town, ask this person, you know, go see this man and tell him the Master is ready. Well, we can wonder about how all that was arranged. It doesn't really matter. I don't think that's a big deal. It was arranged. It was taken care of. And when they and, and the disciples took care of that meal, and it's a big meal, it's a big deal. I mean, this would have multiple parts to it and multiple prayers that would be involved with it. You know, remembering that not only about the suffering, but the, the thankfulness, but then again about the future deliverance of the promised land. And the wise Jew knew that that future deliverance ultimately rested in the Messiah who had not come. So they knew they weren't really truly there yet. But they were getting there. So now, with you and me, I find, growing up in the church, that uh, taking communion was kind of a, an interesting thing. Um, I didn't always understand it. And as I got older, I just had different questions. Sometimes I still had the same questions. But I've just wondered, have you ever, and I, I'm sure you have, felt that you're a little confused when you take communion about what's going on? Uh, do you ever get a sense of that feeling maybe, what should I be doing at this very moment? Should I eat bread? Should I drink the juice? Should I say a prayer before, after, during? Uh, and you get kind of confused. And um, then we may even find ourselves wondering, why are we eating Jesus' body? Why are we drinking Jesus' blood? Have you ever thought of any of those things? Or am I the only one here? It's strange. It's different. Okay? It really is different. And it really is something that was shocking. So, what I want this morning is for us to kind of bridge in the, the main point, if you will, 
is that the Lord's Supper does tell the world you know, who we are as Christians, Jesus' disciples. But more importantly, it makes us who we are. So follow me here. This morning as Matthew opens up, and we start to see that um, the, the Passover, the celebration, all of it's going on. And we know that people from all over the world are there. And we know how important this is, the high, the high point of the year. And it's evening. Now Matthew shows it's, Jesus is reclining at a table and we, most of us probably know they didn't have chairs at these, in these situations. And, um, so they're, they're on the floor. They're with the table and the food's there. And, and if you're with your friends, are you going to be real solemn? No. You're not. You're going to be, you're not going to be real quiet. Not everybody's going to be sitting there just listening, you know, what everybody else is saying, maybe. But you're kind of talking to each other. You know, Da Vinci's, we all see the Lord's Supper in the same way, don't we? Everybody's sitting on one side of the table. I don't think that's how he sat. Man, don't misunderstand me. Uh, Lisa, my wife, has a beautiful cross stitch. She's done of that. And it looks beautiful. And I've seen, I'm sure you have seen, beautiful stained glasses. I've, okay. It looks nice. But that wasn't really how it was. It looked kind of silly, wouldn't it? Everybody sit on this side of the table. They're all just waving at everybody. I'm thinking, you know, what was that? Like they're, you know, uh, but they're sitting on each side or around the table together. When you get that vision, I think you get more of a vision of this communion going on. So now we get the vision of a real meal. Do we ever hear people say, slow down, quit eating in the car, stop, have dinner together with your family? Is any parenting classes you've ever taken say stuff like that? How important it is to have dinner with your family? To have conversation? What do we know about conversation while we eat? It helps with digestion. It does. But more than that, we get to talk with each other. Instead of just looking at the TV or running out the door, one of us here, take this. All right, you take them to that soccer practice. I'll take her to dance and we'll meet later on. And throw them in the bathtub. But what we have to do is we realize we have to center our family more and more around our meals and how important it is and how it begins to bring us closer to one another. And where we begin to share our own life, what's going on in our life. That's how we do it with our friends, right? We go out to a good restaurant. We go out to a a, a good pub, and you you have you have time together, you share time together, and you express what your problems are, maybe, or your or your joy. These are the things that are going on. But here, more importantly, the disciples were thinking again. This is the Passover. You know, we are looking for the deliverance from the Messiah to this kingdom of heaven 
that Jesus is talking about. And we know at this point they're still confused, right? I mean, everything, all, all those parables Jared's been preaching about, they're still confused. Still don't get it. And they think there's really going to be this earthly kingdom of power taking over at this moment. But the parable on the the uh, bridegroom, the groom, and uh, the bridesmaids. What did it? What was it kind of teaching us that there was going to be a delay, right? And to be prepared for that delay. Well, we know that once the Jews were taken out of Egypt, there was a delay before they got to the Promised Land, wasn't it? A very long one for 40 years. They didn't expect that. Certainly, today, we see that same thing within the church as they did then. Can you imagine the disciples expecting the kingdom right then? I mean, in its full consummation. Everything. Done deal. And that wasn't what was going to happen. So we get that little, you know, you get that uh, little bit of a foreknowledge in that, in those parables. If you watch a, a movie, you'll, and you watch it a few times, you might see there's some hints that are given early on in the movie about something that's going to happen later on. And when you, when you go to college and you take a, you know, you need a good A, take film 101. And they'll teach you that. But they'll teach you, start looking for these sections that will foretell certain events that will happen at the end of the movie. Well, usually you'll miss them. But when it's over, you'll think back, and then maybe if you watch it again, you go, ah, there it is. There's the hint that the author gave you. A good writer does the same thing. Give you hints about what is to come. Jesus here is giving us hints about what is to come, and then all this delay. So what do we need to do in that delay and that's preparation? So here the Passover... Uh, not only preparing uh, Jews all the time, teaching them who they are, whose they are. But now, Jesus changing the words. Now, Jesus starts this dinner, and or we don't know if it started just then, but whenever, it's at the end of the dinner, I think, the way it reads in all of the, from Matthew and, Mark and Luke. What I'm reading is, is that it's kind of the end of the dinner time. And uh, Jesus kind of opens up, well, hey guys, one of you is going to betray me. Going, Bummer. I mean, that kind of brought the, every, the mood down just a little bit, don't you think? Well, it did, because what did they all do? They kind of go, oh no. Well, it, it, it is me? I mean, I, I think, I think that the ESV does this. Now, the NIV says it, what? Not I, Lord, right? But we, we know, but, but here, I think they get something. They go, because don't you feel like you're scared to death it's going to be you? <laughs> Am I going to be the one to mess up? What? Is it I? And everybody's kind of saying that around the table. They're going, whoa, what's he talking about? Now the dynamic has changed. It's starting to shift dramatically right here. And you start to see a conversation move in a new way. Because Jesus 
eventually says, what, after the last one, Judas, we suppose, finally he goes, well, is it I, Rabbi? He goes, you said it, not me. Now that's a paraphrase. Just enough to where still everyone didn't know who he meant, right? Still veiled there. So here, Jesus giving us also a veiled farewell. You see that here. He's pointing to something that's about to come. He's about to, he's bringing something to us here. Here he goes, and we begin to realize now that this betrayer is a friend. Somebody very close to all of them. All these guys have been tight for three years. And they're going, wait a minute. Who is it? Everything's changing now. Somebody close. So now we start to get this, this view, which I know you, many of you have gone through in your studies on the divine sovereignty here of God. At the same time, human responsibility. Right? Judas decides he's going to sell Jesus out. He's already made that decision prior to the meal. But here we also know the Scripture's being fulfilled. Right? Whereas we read Isaiah, as you look at, at, at all of Scripture pointing to this moment. So we have another dilemma there that we have to work out in our life. And that is, how is that? How are we in this culpable that is for our actions? How are you and I responsible while God's will is being done? And how do those two combine? I mean, is God causing him to sin? Judas to sin? We're not going to go there. I just want to get your mind running. But Jesus now says something new. He says, I want you to celebrate with me this celebration. And it's going to be not about my birth. Jesus never asks us to celebrate his birth. He doesn't ask us to celebrate his life. He never asks us to celebrate all the miracles he did. He asks us to celebrate one thing. That was his death. So now he begins to bring us in even closer into this conversation. Here, this Passover meal was beginning to change because Jesus says, Take, eat. And he gives us four new words This is my body. Those words had never been heard before. So he hands out the bread to eat it, consume it. Now do you hear them? You are what you eat. And then he says, this wine, it's my blood. He says, it's, it's, it's the blood of the covenant. God will be your God. 
You will be His people. It's for the forgiveness of your sins. Drink it. Here we see something going on that's huge. We see the merging of the incarnation. And now, with this taking away of our sins, this now Jesus saying, I am your Redeemer. I am the Messiah. I will take away your sins. I am that perfect Lamb, that Paschal Lamb. The blood of the covenant, His blood shed. For the breaking of the covenant was not by God, but by His people. The covenant demanded the blood be shed. So now, the, the disciples are beginning to, to partake in this Lord's Supper, something totally different. But why is it? What is the connection between the incarnation? I mean, if Jesus is God, that's who we say He is, then He's all God and all man. What we know is the hypostatic union. This, this idea that He can be God and can be man. All God and all man at the same time. Now you want to blow your mind? There you go. Two distinct, yet one. So now, here He is. Why does He do this? Because when we take the communion, when we eat the bread, when we drink the wine, we literally are now consuming Him. Not as the Roman Catholics think. Not in transubstantiation where the thought is, is that Jesus' body has come here and is being in those, in those, uh, in those elements. Yet, it's not just a memorial service either. It's not just something we're thinking about. Oh, what a good thing happened. What a terrible thing happened in his death. What a good thing happened in his resurrection. But there's something more. Because here, we now are able to receive Christ literally into our bodies. Now you think, how does that happen? Because Jesus, God descends to man, becomes man, in order that He may wash away, take away, completely change man molecularly Ultimately, in the final consummation, purely. And he can only do that if he becomes man. And so if he becomes man, and if we partake of him, now do you see how what you eat, you become? The taking of this, Jesus says, do it always till I come again. He says, I won't drink of the fruit of the vine 
wine until that time. That's going to be a party. That's going to be a huge party. It may be out in Sonoma County. I don't know. But we're going to get an invitation to be there. But here Jesus bringing us into this new understanding of what this meal now is about. It's, it's, it's now saying, I am the Paschal Lamb. I am that Lamb. Eat me. Take me. Let my blood be in you. Let my body be in you. You and I become one. This union, this communion with Christ happens during this meal. I know it's pretty neat. It's pretty sad what we do. I mean, we have crackers, we have little uh, things, and we have a little juice, and it's just not much of a meal. The real one's going to be a real one. So we, we do the best we can. It's all right. But here, we receive this nourishment. This nourishment that comes from Christ. It is Christ. So how does He do it? Where do we know Christ's body is? What does Scripture say? He sits where? The right hand of God. In heaven. That's where He is. We know that. We don't understand exactly where that is. But we know what? There was this bodily resurrection, wasn't there? Yes. Well, he didn't leave some body in the tomb, did he? No. And the ascension? Was it just kind of an ascension? Did he leave the body somewhere? No. Bodily, what do we know? They stood on the mountain of olives, and what did they say? They saw him go up in a cloud, right? Correct. Physically. It's extremely important that we understand that. Because physically, we too, will be given new bodies by kids. So that occurs at the consummation. We do know that. But in the meantime, we have sanctification. And that happens during this time even more so. Where you and I are nourished, where we grow. I'm about growing spiritually. That's the growth we want. We want to grow spiritually. We want to grow more mature disciples. And it happens through a multiple of things, but today, in this particular point of Scripture, we're focusing on the Lord's Supper. And how is that manifest in us? And its benefit. So now, you begin to see that this strengthening with this, with our union with Christ being actuated in this meal. Jesus physically sitting at the right hand of God. So what does He say? You really want me to leave. I know you want me to come back. But you really want me to leave right now. Why? Because I'm going to send you the help. The Holy Spirit. While I'm gone. Jesus is there. Through the Holy Spirit, Jesus is always what? With me. Omnipresent. Imminent. Always. Anywhere at all times. Right? He's always there with us. So we know through the Holy Spirit He's with you and me all the time. That's how we're being nourished. Quite literally. Granted, physically His body's there. 
but literally He is with you and me. When we speak of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we understand this Trinity is being this, this combination of who God is. You know, working on our behalf. Priest as a king and as a servant, as a prophet. So now, Jesus inter- introduces this communion to you and to me. So that we let the world know who we are, of course, right? But what else does the communion do? What does it more importantly do, the Lord's Supper? It makes us who we are. Are you starting to see that? You want to know why we take communion here every week? Because of that. Because it makes you into the image of Christ. Now, when will it be filled, fulfilled, when Christ returns? I love the quote by Billy Graham uh, that he gave to um, um, Diane Sawyer when she interviewed him many years ago, talking about all of his ministries and everything. And she somehow he got into the conversation with her and made the comment saying, well, Diane, I'm just as bad a sinner today as I was before I accepted Christ in Tampa. And she was aghast. <gasps> what? Not you. What do you mean? He goes, I am. That's it. Good for you. What a, what a witness. But there's sanctification going on in our lives. There's changing going on in our lives. But we still struggle. So don't let that throw you off in your, in your journey. Let it throw you off. And that's why we have this over and over. That's why we worship every seven days. You want to do it on a Monday night? Fine. Do it every Monday night. Whatever. It's Saturday. It doesn't matter. Put it together. I know that's my... I'm throwing out something I shouldn't have said. <laughs> Excuse me. But it's regular worship. It's regularly taking of the sacrament. And without it, this is the problem. Without it, we separate ourselves from the nourishment of Christ Himself. The source of life. The source of strength. So, whenever you hear anybody say you are what you eat, or tell me what you eat and I'll tell you what you are, Maybe you'll think a little bit about Lord's Supper. What I hope is that as you take it today and as you take it from this point forward, that you will engage Christ in a very new way, in a very personal way, in a way in which uh, a friend engages another friend and is glad to see them. And it's always there for them. No matter what happens. I've got your back. Doesn't matter. You know, I've got your back. It's alright. It's okay. Pray with me, please. Heavenly Father, as we focus not only on 
telling the world about you. But quite focus just on you. Jesus, may we may we truly understand better who you are. May we truly understand better your divinity, your holiness. May we truly understand how you become us. How you have fulfilled this redemption of all history. That we are yours. That we are your body. Your bride. Lord, during this time, continue to to nourish us, heal our wounds with Your Gospel, with Your love, with Your grace. May they continue to to heal in in Your physician's hands, in the words of Your recruit, and be given strength for another day in this wilderness, if you will. The kingdom is here, but not quite yet. As we wait on that return, this delay, give us strength for one more day, Lord. Give us just some more oil for our lamps. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.